Welcome to the Capes and Tights podcast. I'm your host, Justin Soderbergh. This week, we talked to Rick Koskowski, who is the author and illustrator of Farm System over at Top Shelf. It's a graphic novel uh, published and uh, distributed by IDW. Great, 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 great graphic novel about a minor league system for superheroes, in a sense. Rich explains it better when we talk about the podcast. But before we get on there, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well as capesandtights.com for a ton of information, news articles, opinions, reviews, and so much more. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, and all that stuff over at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please, five stars. We're here for episodes with Rich Klaskowski. Enjoy, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am excellent. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy MLK Junior Day. Yes, exactly. It's one of those weird things that I like. Woke up and I brought my son to to daycare, not daycare to a to his who babysits him. And I was like, "Where are the other girls that are here?" And she, it's a school, uh, no school today. I'm like, "What's no school today?" And they're like, "Oh, it's Martin Luther King Junior Day." I'm like, "Oh, awesome! Thanks for keeping my calendar for me." Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's horrible here in Maine. I'm in Maine right now, and it is sleet freezing rain grossness yeah. right now so i'm glad you to be got, inside i tell you that much yeah i'm in menominee falls wisconsin just out just out of milwaukee wisconsin and it has been gray and rainy beautiful weather <laughs> last week it's been like this but it's better than 20 below and yeah and ice so i'll I, take it i'm always a colder person anyway i don't really like i mean i don't want to sweat so if i'm cool with being you know bundled up inside when it's cold outside i'm i'm good that's why i like to live in maine we don't ever ever get to the point where we're really 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 warm um but we're not here to talk weather we're here to talk comic books and graphic novels and uh, your creations i guess Um, but before we get too far into it how did you get into comic books as a reader of comic books very vivid memory that occurred to me in a flashback actually so i had repressed this memory it's kind of a fun little story Mm -hmm. i'll give you the nutshell version I'm gonna. I was already collecting comics, loving comics, everything, going to shows, and I was at Motor City Comic Con in like 1990, and I was going through a back issue bin, and I'm. I saw this comic, and my heart just froze, and I had one of those moments where the camera oops at you. It was a giant size superstars number one with the Thing and the Hulk fighting on the cover. And I was like, all these memories came flooding back to me. That was the very first comic I bought. And why I repressed the memory of it was because it was all at once the most amazing day of my life and horrible because I bought the comic book at the grocery store. My dad ran the butcher shop out of the back. He subleased uh, the butcher shop uh, and made a successful career out of that. But anyways, I was walking with my mom, say hi to dad before I go to the dentist. And we were walking by the magazine rack and I was only like six or seven. And I was like, Boom, what the hell is that? Is that? I saw <laughs> colorful images on these paper uh, magazines. I'm like, what is that? And that's my first exposure to comic books. And it was that comic book. And I bought it. My mom bought it for me for the quarter or whatever. I read it on the way to the dentist. As I was waiting at the dentist, I was looking at this thing, just mesmerized. And I was called in and I left my comic book on the table there with my mom. They gassed me up. They drilled a cavity. I left all woozy and I forgot my comic book until I was halfway home. And then I it started to wear off the gas. I'm like, mom, 
my comic book. We have to go back. We have to go back. She's like, Richard, we're not turning around to go back for a 25 cent comic book. So I repressed that horrifying memory. Uh, you know, I uh, until that day at Motor City Con. So of course I, I'm holding this comic, remembering this story, and the guy had like 15 bucks on it. I go, here's 20. Yeah, keep the change. I was, I was, yeah, I was gonna ask whether or not you paid 25 cents for the one at the Comic Con. Yeah. Guess not. <laughs> we yeah, got up that, in price a little bit now. <laughs> That was my, you know, as a kid, that was my addiction. You know, I got hooked on them and I I always was just reading them at the store. I was getting kicked out. It's not a library kid. I'm like, my dad runs the butcher shop. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. And it, 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 I just love hearing what people's, uh, you know, introductions into comic books. And I, I will say that uh, it, everyone's is different and that's a great one. And the, you obviously went from wanting to read them to illustrating and writing. What do you call yourself? You call yourself a comic creator, a cartoonist, an illustrator. What What is your title you give each other for people? Yeah, when people ask me what I do for a living, I write out flat out, just say I'm a comic book illustrator and writer. And okay. Cartoonist, but yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of that moniker. I know back there was a time where people would be like, well, I'm an illustrator, you know, and mm-hmm. not say they do comic books. I'm like I write and draw comics, man. And they're like, really? That is so cool. I'm like, it's not the worst job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a job that keeps people busy. I, I, I've talked to a number of people who will say they, they're the busiest they've ever been just because they have their hands in so many different projects. And, and uh, you know, it pays the bills, right? I mean, that's what, and you're happy about it and you're, and you're excited to be a comic book illustrator. That's what makes it good. Not just the fact that you were like, get paid the bills. It's because you like doing it. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely. awesome. That's awesome. And so obviously you go in from transitioning from collecting or reading to illustrating. When did that flip? When did that become like, you know, this is what you wanted to do? Right. So um, I'm reading comics. I'm getting the Electric Company magazine with Spidey, Spidey Adventures. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Electric Company. It came on after Sesame Street. Then it was the Electric Company and they had a little short. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was Spidey and he never talked and he shot this web netting and Hey, Morgan Freeman started on that show too. You should look it up. He was the easy reader. He was cool. Anyways, uh, (laughs) Spidey was in the Electric uh, Company magazine and I was always tracing Spider-Man. But in second grade, I was really, I was starting to get really good at drawing like dragsters and stuff. And my friends would always, hey, can you draw me a car? And I was kind of like, hey, yeah, sure. They want me to draw them a picture. Cool. But by fourth grade, I was locked in. That's when I really realized, you know, kids aren't stupid. We hung our art up on the board at Thanksgiving and stuff. And I'm like looking around at the other kids like, oh man, they suck. Mine is way better than that one. Right? And I was like, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Me and my one other friend, CJ Bettine, were really, he's still my friend to this day, but we were really good compared to the other kids. And I, I just wanted to draw all day. And I was the classic, consummate, underachiever who never paid attention and was always drawing instead of taking notes. So really from fourth grade on, people would ask me, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to draw comic books. I'm going to draw comic books. They would look at me like, what the heck is that? Is that even a real thing? So yeah. And then seventh grade, eighth grade, I started to really develop and discovered Mr. John Byrne. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's when I started paying attention to who the writers and artists were. And the, in the credits, before then, I didn't care about the credits. Yeah. You know, I barely read the caption boxes. Sometimes I found those to be boring, they slog down the story. Well, obviously it was critical and I yeah. realized, oh, I've got to read those yellow boxes. <laughs> but yeah, this I'm reading some X-Men comic and I'm like, what am I looking at here? Who, 
what is going on? This doesn't look like the last comic or whatever. And a writer, artist, who's this John Byrony guy? I, <laughs> yes. Great. Uh, and then I started to pay attention. Who's the writer? What's an inker? What the heck's an inker or an embellisher? And then I started paying attention and realizing which artists and writers I was gravitating towards. And I started to look up their past work. Mm -hmm. Eighth grade, I was, the nearest comic book store was like nine miles away. My mom to this day wants to strangle me. I used to take my little single speed dirt bike and drive down into the bowels of Milwaukee to this comic book store on my single speed bike without her knowing about it. She thought I was at my friend's house to buy comic books. And I was getting the back issues then, so yeah. I started following favorite artists and that's when I really knew. It's funny when there's that switch and that get clicks, the difference between just, these just exist. <laughs> they just happen to be on the shelf to the realization right. that there's a person who actually works on them in the back end. And, and you know, in your mind, you hear art, the artwork is done by someone. So I'm not realizing there's, you know, pencilers, anchors, flatters. There's all these different people who go in to do these things to make these things come out on a, on a, on a rack. And the fact that that back in the day when you bought that 25 cent comic book, that people read them and threw them away. That's even yeah. crazier to me that all this work goes into this, this piece of artwork that a lot of people, the original people did it, read it and go, okay, we're done with it. And then just toss it in the trash. Like it, it just fascinates me. That's what used to happen. Like I have hundreds of books that I probably will never read again but I can't get right. myself, I mean, obviously I paid four or $5 for them, but I can't get myself to throw them away. Cause like, there's not, this sure. is, I bought this. I want to own this. <laughs> yeah, I can't throw them away either. Even if they're really bad, then mm -hmm. I, I will actually, I go to a lot of cons and every mm -hmm. once in a while I go to the cons and bring back issues yes. and have my quarter box and I can't throw these away. Somebody yes. else needs them. Yeah. It's yeah. It, my parents yeah. throw them away. Yes. I remind them to this day, you realize when you threw away all those early X-Men issues of mine, how much they're worth now? Yes. You know? Well, it's funny because we joke a lot. I have a, a regular on the podcast. His name is Paul Eaton. He owns a, the local comic book shop in my area. And he comes on and talks about how my parents threw away an entire long box of my comic books when they moved from place to place. The only issue that they kept was the death of Superman. And we joke because I'm thinking to myself, it actually might be the least valuable comic book that was in that box because I got my copy back to me technically because I gave it away a while ago for free on free comic book day. My buddy Paul goes, I'm just, I have four of these who wants them and just handed them out to people. I'm like, that's the comic book. My mom thought, you know, one of these days it's going to be worth millions. Thanks mom. <laughs> The 90s, the, yes. luck, the death of comics in the 90s, yes. Oh. She tried. She thought she was helping. But, you know, nowadays to this thing, I'm like, there's no comic book in here I could throw away. I mean, I gave a buddy of mine a, a, a bag of comic books that I was just trying to get rid of for his son. And it's still to this day, every once in a while, I go, I don't remember what was in that. I'm yeah. wondering what was in that. Was there anything that I really want to have now that I didn't care about five years ago? Right. Right. Hopefully he gets into comic books because of that. And I'll just, that's it. Moving on. Right. <laughs> but um, you obviously released, you started drawing your own things. And so, so you, you started as an animator. Is that true? I Am did. I wrong? Yeah. At a small company in Franksville, Wisconsin. That's just uh 30 minutes South of Milwaukee area. Uh, Franksville, Wisconsin, a small company called Animagination. And we were doing TV commercials and doing really well with them. A lot of local TV ads and some Illinois companies and so forth. And some way or another, we tripped upon storyboard art for uh, Sega and Sonic the Hedgehog. 
and some other street sharks, double dragon, all these mm -hmm. really cool shows, Cadillacs and dinosaurs, which was yeah. awesome. They changed the title. I don't remember. But anyways, the Sonic thing came along and we were all like, what the heck is this? Eh, this is kind of weird, but fun. You think it'll make it? Ah, I don't know. Well, here, we here we are today, you know, Yeah. 30 years later. But anyways, we're working on the comic, uh, the TV show. And that was fun. The kid from um, the, did the voice of Urkel. Remember that show back yep, in the yep. day? He was the voice of Sonic. And the Sega people enjoyed our work so much on the storyboards that they contacted Archie Comics, who had just gotten the contract to do the comic book series. They were about 11, 10 issues in and they contacted Archie and said, hey, these two guys doing the uh, storyboards, Art Mawinney, who was my boss and me, we want we want them to do work on the comics as well. And I had dreamed about getting into comics. Of course, my dream was Marvel, DC. Yeah, yeah. But I read Archie as a kid. I always liked Archie and Jughead and Betty and Veronica. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was like, Archie's doing Sonic, the comic? I mean, heck, heck yeah, if this can get me into comics, I'll take it. So we got in a very weird way into my dream job, which was working on Sonic. So I started on issue 12 as an inker and worked up until about issue 50. I wrote a couple stories, penciled. Uh, primarily did inks and Archie was so happy with my work on Sonic that then they they started having me do all the regular titles as well. So I've worked and, on thousands of Archie comics. Yeah. And you're still working on Archie with Archie stuff now or? Yeah, they don't do very much these days. Yeah. Print -wise. They just mostly are doing their uh, um, digest and they're yeah. getting back into some more limited release series, but they stopped publishing mm -hmm. quite drastically about five years ago. Um, but I've been able to work on some of the really cool Archie versus Predator crossover. Yeah. The Archie meets Kiss was cool. Archie Sharknado. Yeah, that actually happened. And uh, every once in a while, every few months, they'll shoot me a little a little bit of work, a six pager mm -hmm. here and there. Yeah. But it's it's pretty uh, few and far between these days. But still, I'm still in the family. They're, they're yeah. a great company to work for. They've been fantastic to me. I, I love the more obscure, crazy uh, collaborations or fights than the actual ones that make more sense. Like, I think recently they just did another one at Boom. Uh, was it the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, Power Rangers together? I'm like, okay, I can understand that collaboration together. But the, the, the Archie and the, uh, you know, uh, Sharknado thing, those are the kind of things that I thought, like, that, that would never happen. Let's put it in a right. comic book and do something with it. <laughs> yeah, and, and they didn't hold back either. I'm like, Archie versus Predator. How are we going to yeah. do this up? How are we gonna do this and keep it G-rated? I got yeah. the first pencils. I'm like, whoa, we're not keeping it G-rated. <laughs> uh, the Predator is eviscerating people in this book. <laughs> okay, here we go. That's awesome. But you have multiple books you've done yourself, though. So I, you know, I, we obviously here talk farm system. So we can just jump into that. We, can you give me your elevator pitch? If we were on the elevator together, what would you pitch me? How would you pitch me farm system? Uh, minor league baseball meets superheroes. You know, these guys don't just go out there and start kicking villains asses. Some agent figured it out a long time ago. Hey, these guys need health and dental too. If they're going <laughs> to get their teeth kicked in, I want, they should have contracts that cover this stuff, benefits and so forth. But, uh, yeah, it's a minor league system for superheroes. They get agents, they get trained marketing strategies costume branding all that stuff they learn just like minor league baseball players sensitivity training and all the stuff they shouldn't be doing because they're a brand now everything's about branding and yeah yes money. not everybody's tony stark or bruce wayne they can yeah. afford to be batman or iron man on their own dime these guys you know they need to make an income so it 
I look at it as what are the guys in the farm system, the minor leagues, what's their story? And my focus is mainly on most of the guys who never make it to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. That's the interest of this. Let's, let's hear about those B and C characters that are pretty powerful, but maybe just not powerful enough or marketable enough. I loved it because of the fact that I I'm a big, uh, my, my son's name is Nova. And so my son being named Nova is a connection, obviously to like Richard Ryder, but also Sam Alexander of, you know, and there was a whole series of outlaw uh, comic books at Marvel where they did this, like they're too, you're too young to be fighting crime and you can't have to be a certain age and all this other stuff. So it connected that to like, Oh, I like that, that storyline they had there. But then what you did was almost take that. I simplest, the simple connection to it and expand it to the point where Marvel would never go, which is agents and having profitability and, and, and making money off of it and, and stuff like that. So I love that, that connection that you just think, Oh, I want to be a superhero tomorrow and I want to be a superhero and I want to be able to afford to fight crime and have a lair and all these things. If I just got superpowers tomorrow. And so that I love that aspect of the fact that I'm a big minor league. I was, I covered minor league baseball, uh, in, in the Lowell, Massachusetts, I cover for the Lowell Spinners. And so that connection also, I love that, that, you know, taking two of my passions and smash it together. Are you a baseball fan? Is that where this came from? Or okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big baseball fan. And okay. I, I love baseball. I love documentaries about yeah. baseball. The Ken Burns thing blew my mind years ago. Mm -hmm. That actually prompted me to do my other book with mm -hmm. Top Shelf Fingers. But back to, um, yeah, my love of baseball sports and that whole structure. I always, I'm always one of those sympathetic, empathetic people too, that I always feel bad for the guys who don't make it. And I wonder what, why didn't they make it? You know, mm. what little, you know, Tom Brady was not almost not drafted yeah. in football and he's the greatest of all time. Yeah. You know, they almost, he almost didn't get a gig. So I wonder how many of those guys that floundered all those years just never got the break that mm -hmm. they should have gotten. And that's kind of what I touch upon in, in, in my book with Farm System. And you and me, writers in comic books or yeah. artists in comic books. I've met a ton of great artists and uh, going to shows. And I'm like, why aren't you? Mm -hmm. please? You know what? Sometimes it is just who you know. Sometimes it's that connection or whatever. Unfortunately, that's the truth. And a lot of talented people have fallen by the wayside because they've gotten frustrated and just couldn't afford to keep trying and and I plumb the depths of that in farm system too, about these guys who never give up on their dream. They keep going after it sometimes with, you know, less than desirable results, but that's the story I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. I like to see that. And it, you know, that reminds me of, I, when I was working for the Lowell Spinners uh, organization, that's when Mookie Betts played there. And when Mookie Betts played there, he was honestly, if you were to tell me then, this guy's going to be one of the highest paid players in baseball, I would have been like, I'll put money on it. He won't. Because he wasn't, I mean, he was getting cut, thrown out at second all the time. It was back when he played second base and he just wasn't hitting very well. He just wasn't an amazing player. He wasn't the best player on the team for sure. And then like, you know, fast forward a number of years and now he's out in LA making millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's, it's that story on how he got this. So like, it's not always obvious of these players being good or bad at the minor league level. It takes some time to get there and focusing on the people who didn't make it. Again, I covered also covered uh, Lowell, UMass Lowell, the University of Massachusetts Lowell. And I, they, every once in a while, they get a player drafted. And so like you follow that player because you're like, oh my gosh, this never happens to this university. 
and there are a lot of the players that don't end up making it. So yeah. seeing their, their, you know, uh, uh, Mendick though, actually, they just got uh, signed again to a contract. I think he's playing for the Mets now, but whatever. He uh, was again, one of those ones of one of the few that actually made it uh, from UMass Lowell. So it's always fun watching these players that are not the greatest and see where they end up in, in playing in major leagues. Yeah. And I, I like the, the agents too, the yes. villains story, the Scott Boris's yes. sports world. The Jerry Maguire's, you know, I don't know more about those guys and their assistants and their lawyers and what they do, what schemey, sleazy things, their work cooking up in the back room with these deals and the costume designers, the name, the guys who are in charge of naming, naming rights. Everything's been trademarked these days. Coming up with a good name for a superhero is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. Those are the things I touch on in, in the book. Oh, they, so they dealt with that a little bit on, uh, on did you see the She-Hulk series? They did that I'm a little not, bit. Not started. I just started episode one a couple days ago, actually. Okay. But I don't I won't spoil it for you that much, but there's a there's a thing in there about the trademark name of She-Hulk. And, and I, I laugh at that too. And it makes you think about, you know, you watch these Iron Man movies or these, you know, the Batman, and you're like, yeah, so anybody could just technically call themselves Batman unless you go to the actual lawyers and get the lawyers involved, get it trademarked, copyrighted, and things like that. Like you don't, you just up until a point, obviously there's this you've been using it for long enough and so on and so forth. But like, yeah, these names need to be monetized in a sense. That's what they should focus. You know, like in the movies, they do focus on some of these things like, you know, um, Anthony Mackie in, in, in Captain, was it Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where he's trying to get a loan and they wouldn't give him a loan because like, you don't make any money as an Avenger. Sorry. They that should focus good. more on that. That's the kind of stuff I find yeah. very fascinating. Yeah. And I want to plumb those depths a little bit more. And I'm going to do it in book two because I just got greenlit for the second book. So that's there you cool. go. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that, uh, you know, see, I'm a floppy guy. I, I, I love floppy comics. Uh, but more recently, I would say the last year and a half, two years, I've been getting into some uh, trade paperbacks of issues that I don't want to worry about trying to collect the, you know, four or five issues of each trade or the original graphic novels. And is there a reason why you go a specific way or is it just, um, what you like doing, like between graphic novel and potentially recent leasing this as single issues? Uh, we talked about it and with Chris Staros, who is also not only my editor and publisher, but he's my friend. He's uh, he's got his, he's got the backs of his artists and writers more than a lot of editors in this industry. And he deserves a lot of credit for that uh, and accolades. But I said, what would you think about releasing it as floppy, sequential? And he's just like, you know, that's just not top shelf, the publisher mm -hmm. brand. We like chunk big books. And I was like, great. Either way, I'm fine with it. Just wanted to throw it out there, Adam. Um, and then after book one, and the reviews were coming in really nice. But hey, I'd like to do book two. And he's like, we have to see how the sales go a little bit first. I'm like, totally understand. I said, and we could revisit the idea of floppies again, you know, the single issues. I can format it either way. So we talked about it again. And uh just last week, he greenlit book two and just said, let's do another full-length yeah. graphic just because that fits their aesthetic more and their brand. I'm fine with it. Sorry. It, it, it's also great. Like, I love the floppies, but I also understand the model behind a graphic novel or a trade paperback because of the fact that it's a one complete story. It's a it's a chunk of story. You don't have to wait month to month to month. I find myself every month reading the last issue again 
right, get right, to the right. second issue. And if I had a graphic novel of it, I would just read the whole thing straight through and not worry about it. I won't forget where I am because I could read it the next night or whatever. Um, but it's the way the world is actually, I think we're never going to get rid of individual issues. But I do think the trade paperback and graphic novel uh, game is going to grow and grow and grow over the next five, 10 years just because of people's impatience to wait month to month and also it can be a savings in cost you know if you you know if this if this book farm system ended up being six or seven issues you know and your price tag was 19.95 say it's actually going to be cheaper to buy a trade or a graphic novel right. than it is single issues too so i think yeah, that's where it's we're a, going anyway yeah it's a 20 dollar book but it's 200 208 pages and it's you know literally yeah. like 10 it's like almost 10 issues of a comic work or six mm-hmm. seven issues and I, I've told people that and they're like, oh, 20 bucks. I'm like, well, if it was a comic book split into eight issues, it would be like 35 bucks. You know, my biggest problem collecting the floppies these days is when I walk into a comic book store, I'm confused as hell. Yeah. <laughs> what is, how many bat titles are there now? Yes. What is the 30 Batman comics? Where do I start? There used to be four. And I thought four was a lot when Batman, Shadow of mm-hmm. the Bat. Detective, and then the X Men. When I was a kid, it was beautiful. There was one a month. Yeah, Avengers one a month. Fantastic Four. What simple man? Mm-hmm. I can I can do this. Then you know, two or three. Now there's like how many Avengers titles? Huh? Yeah. I don't know where to start. I'm overwhelmed. I'm just like shut down. Let's go look through the trade paperback routes yeah. and you know racks yeah. and get some. That's the way I'm going more and more. It's crazy. It's 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 a. Uh, I mean, they're they're like it takes up less room. You can protect yeah. them easier. It's easier to hold. It's a whole a lot that goes into that. Also, I think there's a lot more people who are following specific creators. Like Rich, if I was like, I want to follow your work to collect, like let you write and draw an entire book. Let me collect that one book this year, or maybe two you put out, and be good. Where all these different creators are touching. 17 different single issue things and you're trying to follow where they are it's kind of crazy in my opinion like there's just definitely a, a simplicity to having someone who's like i'm gonna write a graphic novel i'll see you in a year that kind of thing right. where it, it's 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 much more concise yeah and and it got difficult for me again too i was doing so many shows pre-covid mm. that i was i was always hip to what was coming out from the shows not the stores or the uh preview catalog yeah work the room and be like oh you got a new book out yeah bring it on or go to my favorite publishers drawn in quarterly top shelf fanographics whatever and oni press and hey what's going on with you guys with dark horse what do you got going on oh oh shoot i haven't gotten these in a while i'll buy a couple trade paperbacks Mm -hmm. and that's where i would load up at the shows bring back a short box of all my stuff and then the show stopped and i'm like out (laughs) of the loop that's when i went back to the comic book stores and i was what, is what called, the hell? Well, we did a I listened to a podcast. A buddy of mine has a podcast called the Off Panel Podcast, uh, David Harper, and he did a piece for his website, sketch.com, about number of variant covers for, for comic books. And he said, but if you took every single so like for example, Saga doesn't have any variant covers. There's a couple of like issues two through five of certain series that don't have variant covers. Maybe issue one does, but the rest of it does. He said, on average, out of all the books that came out in 2022. And all the variants, three and a half covers per issue is a, like with a number of covers. He says, so like three and a half to four covers per issue. So every single issue had three and a half, four covers behind it. It's insane. 
how are you supposed and i'm a completionist so like to me i'm like oh my god this is not even i cannot get i'm a my buddy ben bishop did um the last ronin and i was like oh maybe i'll collect all the issue ones there's like 110 of them or something like that i'm like there's no way can't do it so it's insane that's a graphic you know trade paperbacks and graphic novels are usually this is the cover buy it you're good (laughs) simplicity and i get it why a lot of publishers are doing it oh yeah Overall numbers of books are down, so they have to do the the variance to generate some more income and the collectability, the uniqueness of it all. But it does get a lot, a little out of control sometimes. It's. But I mean, if you did one for your website, for an example, like you're selling your your farm system book, and you're like, okay, this is the exclusive one for my website, and, and this is the one that's going into stores. I think that is cool in that sense that, like, if I have a big follower of you, I can go to your website, buy one directly from you. This is cool, but like when you have 30, 40 issues, first issue, 30 or 40 covers, it, it, I just can't keep track of it. I'm using the search feature on my computer to see if I go to like a previews world and just trying to find whether or not one of my favorite artists is having a variant cover this month by right. using a search feature on the thing to see if I can find it uh, is how you have to do it. If it wasn't, if I was just looking through previews catalog, I think I would be lost on where all these things are and things. So it's crazy, but I, I you know, I, my buddy who owns a comic book shop has started, let's see, back in October, maybe it was September, we started a graphic novel club. And so the graphic novel club is every month, once a month, a group of people read a book and we get together once a month and discuss said book. And uh, it's gotten me, I now own five or six trades that I never would have owned because I either have single issues or I just wouldn't have thought about picking it up. And I love that aspect of it because now my book collection is getting bigger just because of that too. So, and it's forcing me into books. Like, you know, you should read this book. Let's get this book. And I have been buying trades that way. So I am getting more into the trades uh, field and the graphic novel field, but uh, single issues are still always going to be my love. <laughs> oh yeah. And I still get them. I still yeah. get them and I'll find something new. Like Marvel just came out with their new Namor series. Yeah. You know, I think it's at issue four or five, six. I'm loving that. It's like, mm-hmm. wow. Glad I found it though when I did. I just happened to find it. Hey, new Namor one. Didn't they just do a Namor one a couple of years ago? What's this is the yeah, new name? That's okay. All right. But yeah, it's it's hard to keep up. It's hard to well, that's up. the whole Marvel thing or DC thing now is if the if the creative team changes, they just start with the number one again. And that's confusing because right. I'm like, well, then sign these people on for more than three issues, then and let's get these people on 10, 15 issues, then do a new number one, not after four or five issues. Um, but look, it just came in the mail the other day. Hey, hey, where'd you get that? Uh, Amazon. <laughs> I think it was you. Hey, Someone had it used. It lives. It lives. Uh, I haven't got a chance to read it because it just came in. Um, but I was thinking to myself, it was funny too, because I realized I never actually picked up a copy of Farm System. I got an advanced copy to read digitally, but I was like, oh, look at this came in. And I'm like looking for my Farm System book. And I'm like, oh, I never actually got it yet. <laughs> so I'll have to pick that up. But I, I, that's my plan is to grab farm system i always try to support the people that come on the podcast but i was able to read obviously farm system quite a while ago so i did it earlier i was talking to someone and i was like why is issue two of your book like what are you talking about this issue one just came out i'm like oh yeah i read issue one like in october and forgot that issue one came out in december (laughs) i was thinking it came out so long ago that i'm waiting like i'm waiting for where's second volume of farm system i i read it such a long time ago Right. Yeah. It, it gets nutty. Well, that's another reason why I like the graphic novel format. Yeah. Original book. Hey, you got it already. You know, you got it all one shot. Mm-hmm. 20 bucks. 
And so you have a list. I hope you like the list that has been, that was a weird uh, journey. It was my Christmas story. I actually have an agent out in Hollywood who has had some interest in, in selling it, but a big portion of the print run got destroyed initially. And it was a nightmare getting it reprinted by the printers. They, they printed pages out of order. I'm telling you, man, that was some stressful days. But uh, I'm actually going to, because of that, a large portion of it got destroyed. That is a very, very, very rare book. Only 2,000 made it survive the printing process. So I'm going to actually be repackaging that, update, updating it a little bit in the next mm-hmm. year or so and re, uh, redistributing it, probably doing a Kickstarter or something. Yeah. I mean, it's like a Christmas, like it's a fun, I like the things that are surrounding a certain, like we might, I might maybe I won't read it until next Christmas season just to have, you know, like have something because there isn't that much that revolves around that time frame. Uh, a buddy of mine, Travis Gibb just did the holiday spirits and that was some an anthology Christmas story kind of thing. And I like that. Cause like I said, there's not much that's like seasonally in that sense. Every once in a while they do some like October for Halloween stuff, but like, you know, I got to have time. I got to have something to read in that season to get myself yeah. feel like I'm in the season of Christmas, but maybe I'll read it ahead of time and then read it again. Then, um, right. but this is, this is mostly text, right? There's some drawings and there's some illustrations in it, but. Illustrated novel. I was inspired by like the format that Stephen, Hey, your fellow main resident, Stephen yes. King and Bernie Wrights and my favorite yeah. illustrator did a book decades ago called cycle of the werewolf. And I loved that format. I just loved that format. So I always wanted to do something like that. Text, I mean, I like it. And then illustrations, yeah. Well, that's it's nice because it breaks it up. But also one of the things I, I have a good imagination, but one of the things I love about comic books is that I don't have to worry about imagining what the character looks like that you're trying to portray. You know, in Farm yeah. System, I know all your characters, what they look like as the book progresses because you gave me that in your illustrations. You said this is what X, Y, and Z person looks like. You know, this is what they're going to look like the rest of the book. Um, when I go to read a novel, I'm just trying to come up with it. And then either a movie gets made or a comic book sequel or something comes out and like, that's not what the character looks like. Because yeah, in my mind, I had it completely yeah. different. And so yeah. this helps a little bit gauge what, you know, with, with illustrations in it, gives you a little bit of like, oh, okay, now I see what he's talking about, uh, which is pretty cool. I'm excited for that. So yeah, I came in, I don't know, last week, week, after, week before that. Perfect timing, right? <laughs> But I don't have my farm system book yet. I, I promise you, Rich, I'm getting it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get you a copy. Contrarily, I like watching like a TV series like Next Generation mm-hmm. and then reading the novels and you've got all the voices in your head as you're reading the characters. That's cool. That that totally elevates the novels. And And that's my love. I love how you pointed that out because that's my love for adaptations via either the way it is now or the way like, if this gets made into a movie or a TV show, that adaptation, two different mediums, as well as the opposite way. Like I, I just read the new Dune uh, first issue from Boom. And again, same thing. You watch the movies, you watch the series, you watch the original movie and you get these people that you remember or these, these people you go, oh, okay, now I can see what this is in the book. I can hear their voices and things like that. So I love that mixed media of the industry that comic books is in is so many things are being made into movies or TV shows. We get to see that and then read the book again and get, you know, I read Spider-Man now. Maybe I get Tom Holland's voice in my head to read I read Spider-Man, except for the fact that he's British. And I don't, yeah, <laughs> I watched, yeah. I watched the All Roads Lead to No Way Home the other night with my wife. It's like a 30 minute documentary about like the, the eight Spider-Man films. And he has a strong accent and Andrew Garfield has a slight accent that both of them, like that's not what Peter Parker says. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, you can get Farm System where? You can get it from Top Shelf off their website or IDW. Our distributor okay. is actually Penguin Random House. Yeah. So it's Penguin Random House. It's on Amazon. It's on, don't go to Amazon though. Go to your local stores. Yes. Amazon has enough of our money. Or you can go to my website, richkozlowski.com. And I'll, I always personalize them with a yep. nice sketch to make it a little more special. Same price um, as at the stores and all that. So, yeah. And you're Penguin Random House through the book side. So a uh, bookstore has have it too, right? Like, like a local bookstore, not just a comic book. Can a comic book stores buy those too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I know there was right. a big, this, there was a big yeah. kerfuffle with distribution yeah. last year in, in the comic industry with Diamond and Penguin. Yeah. And everything's a mess again. Um, but things are starting, the dust is settling down. It was really disconcerting for me when I started because of this uh, distribution, you know, yeah. kerfuffle. Thing. I love that word. And I went to some stores. And I'm like, hey, do you guys use Penguin Random House? Because that's my distributor. Yeah. And they're like, no, we're not going to, we're too. And I'm like, damn, well, they're not going to have my book. Um, but, you know, then I have to get out there and make sure I'm hitting all the shows and letting yeah. people know. We, 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 uh, I have a friend who owns a bookstore in the downtown Bangor area near me, and he uh, is a bookstore, so he can get trades in graphic novels to his place, but he can't get the comic books from Penguin Random House because he obviously works a different, he has a different, you know, license or agreement with them. My buddy who owns the comic book store can get a little bit of both. It's a weird thing. And my buddy from the comic book store, he's not there on Mondays and Tuesdays, and that's when the comic books and stuff comes in. So he has his home address down the street as the address to deliver and Penguin Random House won't deliver to his home because it's not the business address. And so it's like this whole, he's dealing with a whole kerfuffle in that sense as well uh, because Penguin Random House is also cheaper for shipping. So it's like this whole thing is just, it's it, dust will settle at some point. It will never be one distributor again, but it, it, dust will settle at some point and things will be a little bit more clear. But if you can get it at a bookstore, that's all you need to matter. Every, every town is a bookstore. And more yeah. towns have bookstores than they have comic book stores. So I would think yeah. that's a easier, uh, easier get, um, but I'll make sure if my buddy doesn't have it, I'll make sure that Gibran at Briar Patch and Bangor gets it on the shelf so that we can tell customers to go get it there too. Cause shop local, but you, if you could, can you buy it? You said you buy it from your website. Yep. Rich top shelf comics.com. So IDW website, cause top shelf was absorbed by IDW publishing. So mm -hmm. That's the the easiest place is if you go online. But I always say the creators are small businesses to people. So like, yes, support your local store. But if there isn't one, going right to the creator is always a good thing too because yeah. you're supporting, you know, you got your copy right look, there. Look, people, I have your copy waiting for you right here. It's so nice and clean. I like that. Nicely bound yeah. and... I do a little sketch Ooh. on the side. That's the one of the main characters. Look at you. Armor Man. That's awesome. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, and so always going to... I've, we had a discussion multiple times on the podcast about someone who went on eBay to find something that I was like, if you just Googled so-and-so, the creator of the book, and went to his website, he the guy paid three times as much on eBay than getting it from the person's website, signed, Right. I was like, they had it as an option. It was like $25 signed and like maybe a little remark on it and shipped to you for free. And the person paid like $75 on eBay for the number one issue without anything like that, plus shipping. And I was just like, just do some research, just Google, <laughs> just Google people. And then also go to the creator's websites. A lot of people have them for the exact same cost. And you get that little bonus feature of 
personalization right. in helping a, a small business Ooh. as well. So, um, but, and then uh, you have other books that are available as well. I know you have other books, but are they also available on your website or at, at Top Shelf's website? All my books are available. Top Shelf, actually, they're, uh, they just re-upped a contract for The King and B.B. Wolf, which was my cool. third book. Um, but they're out. These are j- have just run out. And with the um, with them merging with IDW and, and shuffling through inventory and all that stuff. So they're in a transitional period a little bit still, but some of the books are only available if you can find them back issue bins and so, mm. so forth at stores. But I do have copies of, of the King, BB Wolf, three fingers and my three geeks, uh, series on my website. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I still have all first prints on all those books. So. That's awesome. I, I do. Like I said, I really, really enjoyed the book. I think the connection personally with me, my love for baseball and minor league baseball and my love for, for superheroes and comic books. It's also what I like to say to people, it's really hard. And you probably admit to this too, to create a book about superheroes. That's not in the big two, because the, the, whenever someone thinks about superheroes nowadays, I mean, it, it hasn't been, there's only been a few like Oh my gosh, you know, your invincibles and your irredeemables, where people have been able to like capture the audience's attention with superheroes. And I think you did a great job taking it a different way. And, and, and instead of just making a superhero book about a superhero who saves, you know, fights crime, you did it a different way, which is very good. So I appreciate that. And the, and the focus, I've had this trouble too. Oh, there's a new superhero book by yeah. an independent company. I don't know anything about this character or their background. I'd have to start at ground zero and and get to embrace this character. Well, the purse, the genius who did this, this uh, mold, let's say, mm-hmm. of what I'm doing, Kurt Busick with Astro City. He developed a, uh, he built a world, Astro City, and mm-hmm. he injected all these different characters in there that you've never heard of, the good, the Samaritan, and all these characters. Yeah. You don't have to be aware of them you get immersed in his stories right away. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know anything about any of these characters, but I'm in, I'm just right away engrossed in this. They're telling stories that are very accessible. And hopefully with my book, Farm System, it's more about a system and uh, the, the the setup and the, the marketing and all that that people can all relate to. You don't have to know any of these characters. Yeah. You already are aware and uh, of this type of a uh, structure in our world so you can right away dive into the story and you get it they're selling contracts for these guys they're trying to put these guys on teams i can relate to that i don't mm. i don't need to know who they are it doesn't even matter it's all about the system that's what astro city did too so brilliantly yeah had to give him a lot of props kurt busick with astro city. in the um in the peripheral part of it if you have a friend or a family member or someone close to you that's a sports fan that you want to get into comic books that's another thing it's not and it's not a quote unquote sports book. Uh, you know what right. I mean? Like it's not like, you know, the idea like it's a oh, this is a you know book about basketball. This is a book that has that you would get and understand. And maybe it's a gateway to them reading other books either by you or other people because they got into a book they really like. So and it's a graphic novel which makes it they it's all right in there in their hands. They don't have to worry about going finding issue three or issue four or whatever. They like it's right there in a beautifully bound book. Uh, you can get over at Rich's website. Um yeah. I appreciate it. You need to thank your daughter too for helping you get us on. So that's that's a you know big yeah <laughs> yeah she's yeah, all star of the day. She gets a star. <laughs> yeah, I'm old. I'm a dinosaur, and my daughter early on. I you yeah. guys don't see any of that, but yeah. we couldn't get my mic working. So of course I had to get my IT specialist, my 20 year old daughter, yeah. in here. I don't know what happened, but all all of a sudden everything started working. So gremlins. <laughs> I- 
I did IT work when I was right out of high school. So I'm 36. So 18 years ago, I did IT work. I worked at Best Buy and I still, I haven't done it since then, basically. And I got an email from my grandfather in Florida asking why his email is not working. And, and I was like, I haven't done, I don't even know how to use these things anymore, honestly. So I, you know, having the people around you to help is good. And, and having your daughter to help was excellent because you know, without it, we wouldn't be able to get on, get on, talk about your book and, and talk about comic books. So again, thank you to your daughter and thank you to you for coming on. Uh, and you have a website, you said richkoslowski.com? Yes, richkoslowski.com. Here's the spelling, folks. This is low tech. Look at, we don't, we're not going to put it up on the screen, but Rich yeah. Kozlowski, a good, fine Polish name. And, .com. and you are... Are you on any social medias? No offense if you're not, but are you Facebook. like, just, okay. just Facebook. If, if something comes out like Instagram or Tiki Talk, yeah. like I call it, any of those, there's a lag time with me like, or even yeah. email yeah. It comes out. And then six years later, I'm yeah. on it. Maybe. Well, Maybe. nowadays you can just focus on that. Six years later, it came out and then went away and you didn't have to get on it. <laughs> that's, that's how I'm sure. Is this thing going to last? Is this Sonic the Hedgehog thing going to even last? <laughs> Or am I wasting my time? And so, thank God I'm, it did because, yeah, you know, okay. now you have a career. I would say thank you, Sonic. That's what you had to say, right? Thank you, Sonic. <laughs> thank you so much, Rich. I really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and happy new year. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Uh, and, yeah. and good luck with the book sales. And it, good luck with number two. You have to let us know when it's out and, and we'll get it. We'll, we'll, do a re, we'll reread it and then we'll talk to you again about the next issue. Next right. volume, I should say. Thank you. Thank you very much.